0: Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach.
1: So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a relatively mild Fort Worth, Texas for July 6th. It's it's lovely out out here. Hope you're doing well in your part of the world, too. Today, we begin a two-part investigation into uh, grieving, the grieving process, and I'm pleased to welcome the author of a wonderful book entitled Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Emily Thoreau is uh, offers a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. And as well as being a lecturer, an author, and a speaker, Emily has extensive personal experience in the grieving process due to the deaths of her two husbands, as well as uh, father, mother, aunts, uncles, and and many friends. And I think most of us can empathize with this and and recognize it also in our own life experience because loss is a a factor that's common to every single person on this planet. Um, She has created a unique program also called Writing Your Way Through Grief Uh, to help others through the grieving process. Um, And we'll talk about that because there's many mentions of journaling and and creating through words in the book. So it's a pleasure to welcome Emily Threat, hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, to today's show. Welcome.
2: Thank you very much for having me, and it's Threat. (laughs)
1: Threat.
2: I'll take it, whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I had a friend once, a musician who charged... Pronounced it the 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 way I said, and but I never can tell, you know, everybody's different. So, well, anyway, welcome to yeah. the show. We're, we're so glad you're here. Um, you believe also, you know, as we said, in in the healing power of writing and journaling, and much of your pro- professional career has been, um, you know, helping people write, and that that influence goes through the book. What, why is it so important, do you think, to write things down, whether it's in journaling or? affirmation or letters to people, whatever, there's power in it, right?
2: I think it's great power, excuse me, in writing. I find that if I just think about things, I feel like they just bounce around in my head. Sorry. Um, And when I write, I'm sorry. Let me get a little drink of water here.
1: Yeah, sure, that's fine. Um,
2: But when... I just think about things that I feel like they kind of bounce around in my head and I they just get stuck there but when I write them down I can really um examine what I'm saying examine what I'm thinking about and it kind of uh, makes them real somehow and yes. like if if I, if I I write that I'm happy then I feel happy <laughs> or I feel happier when I write that, and if I just think, "Oh, gee, I really would like to be happy," it, it's not going to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And and they say that you know you don't really know something until you write it down, right? You the, the very right. ta- the very task of elucidating what you, what you're thinking is a learning experience, and uh, and can be powerful as a result.
2: Oh yes, that's a beautiful way to put it.
1: And also letters, you know, in, in unity, in our tradition, we we often talk about writing letters that you may never send, but uh, are important. It could be a letter to God or a letter to, uh, you know, somebody that's died or, or a letter to somebody maybe you have a hard time with and you, you want to speak honestly with them in a way you couldn't do face to face. But a, a letter can be powerful, right? Some people actually mail the letters, but other people burn them, you know, they, they've written them, they've uh, they've understood the meaning, and now they release it through, a, you know, a burning ritual or whatever. But letters are powerful in that way.
2: Oh, letters are, are a great way to use writing. I have, in my past, if I had something that I was having difficulty dealing with somebody about whatever it was, if I wrote them a letter, generally I didn't send it, but by writing it, I figured it all out and. Figured out what what I needed to do with the situation to to make it better, make it whole. And in my when I work with people um, in my writing together to grief group, their favorite exercise is writing a letter to their loved one who died. They they really like that. They most of them hadn't thought of doing that before, and they find so many things come out in the process of writing that either make them feel good or that they realize that it's something that they need to deal with. And then when they finish writing that letter, I always have them write a letter back to themselves from the person they wrote the letter to.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: And that that's really powerful. I just uh, did that a couple of weeks ago when it was my husband Ron's birthday. And I, there were so many things that, that, that are going on right now that I just wish that I could have a great conversation with him about what's happening in the world and in our country. And so I wrote all that in the letter. And then when I wrote the letter from him back to me, it showed me the significance of of what I was thinking and what he. I'm sure he would have said. I, I think I knew him well enough that... Uh, these things just come out, and it, it really helps me put things in perspective. And the, the people it. in my groups, when they do that, they just love it.
1: Yeah, I love that too. That's that's powerful. And you know, as we believe in unity, there is no time or space to spirit. You know, so and of course, you're from the religious science tradition, which is you know very similar. Um, you know, we're we're always connected, right, to to our loved yes. one. The, the, you know the physical may be gone, but I don't think the the soul and the spirit have gone, of course, then they're still with us and and so we can literally commune in that sense and this isn't sort of some woo woo you know psychic stuff; this is just um the way the universe is built right the that, that, that we are actually spiritual beings having a human experience and not the other way around
2: that's that's exactly what I believe. And that's why uh, this kind of writing where where you're writing to somebody that that isn't here physically with you right now it it's so powerful because you one of the the things that people deal with in in grief that's that's the hardest is the absence of that physical presence, but by doing this writing, you can really feel like uh or no. They're there and know what they'd say, and they can provide you comfort and it just it feels it feels good to do it
1: I remember writing a number of poems after my my first wife died and um, finding that you know very powerful too because it just let me you know express in in a, in a few words the w- things that you couldn't really express I think poetry is good in that regard because it doesn't have to make quote sense, you know. Um, prose mm-hmm. you have to follow a pattern, whereas poetry you can say things that are sort of elusive and, and metaphorical, and and you you need that sometimes. I think when you, you when you're dealing with grief, you know, it's not not something you can rationalize, is it? It's something. It's a felt response that is deep within us, and and. Uh, you talk a lot about that in the book. You know that, that it's 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 good to grieve. It's it's good to feel what you feel, and and it doesn't always make sense. You know, it it to the rational mind, and that's not the point, right? It's um, there's a deeper process at work.
2: That's right. Uh, I know uh, there's so much power in poetry, and a lot of times people don't think that they can write poetry, so they don't even try. So in in my group, one of the things I do with that is teach them how to write haiku poetry, which is a very simple form of three lines, with the first line has five syllables, the second one has seven syllables, and the third one has five syllables. And they go, "Oh, I can't do that." I said, "Just try, you know, <clears throat> Just, you know, write it and see what happens." And they're amazed at how they can come up with something. And doing this process of, of being given directions on how to do it. They're able to see that they actually can do it. And some, some, I've got one person that writes uh, every morning when she gets up, she writes three or four haikus because it, it helps her keep things in perspective and, and dealing with her loss. And other people have started with haiku and it's led them to write, write other kinds of kinds of poetry, you know, short poems or long poems or, um, Kind of free verse, where nothing needs to to rhyme, and nothing needs to necessarily make sense to anybody but who's writing it
0: right, and yeah.
2: they they really, really like to do that and and i I find great joy in that when people tell me oh i can't write poetry, and then they find themselves doing it, and they feel so good about what they're writing
1: yeah it's sad isn't it because somewhere along the line, you know somebody told us. Oh no, you're no good at that, or whatever. And it, it, yeah. it's the same with uh, painting and drawing. I think you know, 'cause all kids paint and draw. You know, all kids uh, write poems. But you know, somewhere we were told, oh well, that was just silly, you know, whatever. But, but what it, what it, you know, it's it's we have to relearn it, don't we? We have to recultivate the those arts, and and that's what this book is about as well. You know, which I love about it, it's not just losing someone. It's losing, you know, some of those gifts that we've had that you know, and, and now reestablishing them because, you know, re recultivating joy, for instance, is remembering the wonder of life, isn't it? It you know, that we had as as, as children, that you know, that the, the we get ground down sometimes by by various factors and uh, to re to recultivate uh, reestablish this awareness of joy is, is just miraculous I think.
2: I I think so, too, and and I agree with you about how, uh, as as children coming up through school, frequently somebody will say, well, they'll give you a C on a drawing that you made or a D on something that you wrote, and you think, well, I can't do this, and and that's what sticks in your mind, and so for the rest of your life, you don't remember who said it or who gave you that grade, but you think, well, I can't write or I can't draw. And I really encourage people when they're they're uh grieving especially to find some outlet for creativity. And an example with me was I always thought I couldn't draw. I just thought there there was something about me that it, it didn't work. And we've got a, a beautiful arts center here on Maui that, that has all different kinds of classes and they had a drawing class and I thought I'm I'm gonna go to that. So I went to it. <laughs> and i loved it i couldn't believe what i drew with the help of the the instructor she was a really good instructor and i since then i've taken several more drawing classes and i absolutely love drawing and i'm so surprised because i really believed that i couldn't draw but when when i draw it's like a form of meditation that that i i'm so free of thoughts uh, I'm just immersed in the creativity, and it it feels so good. It feels like like a really deep meditation. So I I highly encourage people to do something creative, even if they think they don't have the talent to do it. They might be really surprised.
1: Absolutely, and you know there are no limits here, right? And not in my That's philosophy, right. at least, um, except the limits we create for ourselves. So. It, it's never too late to uh, to do those things you, you want to do, whatever it might be. Because you know, um, it might not be drawing or writing, but something, you know, something that's creative. Anything can be creative and healing. I think if you like to fix yeah. cars, that's healing too, right? It's just it's not limited to these things we call the arts or whatever. It's anything where we're using our um, focused energies, you know, in a joyful way. You know, and that that can be pretty much anything.
2: Yes, that's true. And uh, it can be things like snorkeling or going for a walk in nature or planting right. some vegetables or anything like that can make a real difference.
1: And that's what I love about the book. You've got 26 chapters in the book, um, you know, which cover uh, the whole range of subjects. And they're not necessarily sequential either, which is interesting, Um they they sort of jump around a little bit, which which is the nature of grief, too. It's not sequential, mm-hmm. is it? It's, um, you know, yeah. they, they call it seasons of grief. You know, there's different things come around and and then you think you're over that one and then it comes around again or whatever. So so it's a smorgasbord, if you like, of different approaches here. Um, but I thought we might look at look at some of the uh, some of the chapters and, and, and see what comes up for us. But I, I sensed you had something to say about that first.
2: Well, yeah. For me, the the reason it's written the way it is, in, in the chapters like that, is because you can just go to the table of contents and say, "Oh, well, I'm really dealing with something related to to that issue right now, and here's a chapter on it. <laughs> you know, and I can right. I can read that, and then I can see how how it can help me or what I can actively do." To, to help me deal
1: with my grief. The most important thing, and you start the book with it, is um, the ability to be good to yourself, right? To uh, to wrap yourself yes. in love, as you suggest. And um, yes, you know that that's huge, isn't it? Because otherwise, we're just beating up on ourselves. We're we're feeling loss. We're also feeling guilt, um, sort of survivor's guilt, whatever. We're maybe feeling regret. All kinds of emotions and at that tender moment you know when when we're in the middle of uh, transition we just have to be gentle
2: yes absolutely and and people tend to be really hard on themselves usually when right when somebody transitions that somebody who's close to you for a while, you're, you're kind of in a, a fog, so to speak, that makes it kind of hard to do anything. And then when you start coming out of it, a lot of the times you just beat yourself up. You feel guilty and say, if, if only I'd done this, or if only we'd gone to the doctor sooner, or if only whatever, and, and that's not helpful. So it's it's really important to be able to see what it is that, that you can... Uh, Do that's going to make you feel better you can see shared experiences like you're not the only one feeling that way when you feel like you are
1: right and that's why you know often a support group can be helpful right i mean i know a lot of people go to grief recovery workshops or ongoing classes and you know that, that can provide help and they often encourage journaling in those as well and um it's not for everybody, I think, but uh, you know, a lot of people can get something out out of those groups.
2: They they do, and what I discovered because I, I tried to do that, uh, and it, it wasn't working for me because I was finding such sadness wherever I went. Find groups uh, the Widows and, and different grief groups. That because there's a ton of them online now, and and the sadness. I'd start reading what other people were were writing, and I I would just really uh, the sadness could be overwhelming, and I thought I've I got to do things differently for me. I've got to look at things differently, and so what I've really been focusing on is how to uh, be happy and grieve at the same time, because. I just believe that, that's vital. And I'm, I'm in the process of creating a, a grief and happiness alliance where people will come together and uh, be comfortable in their grief knowing that, that the other people in the group are grieving something too and, and that they don't have to feel guilty if they smile or laugh or be happy because a lot of times people think that they, they need to be serious or they're somehow disrespecting their loved one who who's transitioned and that's, that's just not true. And it's important to, um, to, to see the truth that your loved one would want you to be happy. Your loved one wouldn't want you to sit around and be sad for the rest of your life. My mom did that. Mom and dad were married for 53 years. And when dad died, mom didn't smile anymore. She, I just, the, only after she was diagnosed with a brain tumor did she start smiling because I could see that she realized that and how she was thinking was, oh, good, I finally get to be just my
0: true love again.
2: And, and she could start to smile. So I, I just think this opportunity to have this human experience, it's, it's very important to enjoy it and to help others enjoy it, too.
1: Yeah, and of course there's some of the old Victorian values still still prevalent in our minds. You know, thinking about Queen Victoria who lost Prince Albert, right, and then dressed in black for the last, next 50 years of her life, you know, <laughs> because she could yeah. never go and get over that that grief. Or or Miss Miss Havisham in the Dickens novel, you know, who who wandered around the house in a wedding gown because um, she was jilted and uh, but couldn't get beyond that, you know that. That's a terrible misfortune. I think when we when we get stuck in that moment of time and can never be free from it. But I I totally agree with you about you know the guilt about laughing and having a good time because um, some people just don't find that acceptable. But I, what I found going through my grief with my you know late wife was that there were there were moments where I literally forget you know that she was gone mm-hmm. and and would be happy. And then I'd remember, and, and I felt terribly bad about it that I'd forgotten. Uh, but you know, that's a natural process. You know, the, the mind can't hold on to it forever. And I think the forgetfulness for a moment, you know, where you just go into another mode is is absolutely essential because otherwise you drive yourself crazy, you know, crying all the time. I, I remember crying three times a day, you know, for the first six months after she died. And you know it's fine to do that, whatever you have to do. But eventually, I you know said to myself, you know, I've got to move on here. I I, I can still grieve, I can still feel sad that she's gone, but I, I can't live, you know, a miserable existence. Um, you know that that wouldn't, like you said, that wouldn't be doing a, it would be doing a disservice to her to to feel that bad. You know, she wouldn't want me to do that.
2: Absolutely. That's, that's, that's just so true.
1: So you're a big advocate of prayer and meditation, yes? and um, Yes. As a means to center ourselves and uh, find the core of who we are, I guess, the, the peacefulness even in the midst of trauma and difficulty.
2: Yes, absolutely. I think it's important to um, establish some kind of practice that, that serves you the best and a lot of times it'll evolve. You might start off with one thing like you might just start off with meditation because you don't have to think about what you're doing and, you know, try to make a certain way. You can just relax into the meditation so that you can find some peace. And then after you've been doing that for a while, you might want to add something to it. And so you could start journaling, um, I know I'm I'm I pray all the time. You know, there's always somebody asking for prayer for something, and I just you know it's just kind of an automatic thing to uh, pray to support each other. But I I start every day with a, a routine that I do that serves me because it, that's that's what I've developed that works best for me, and when I start my day that way. Uh, I'm in in such a a good place. And and if for something happens, like when I first get up and I don't get to do it right at that moment, I'd feel off until I get to, to do it. And and what I do with that is I start always with gratitude. I write down at least three things that I'm grateful for and specifically what they are, not just say, you know, I'm, I'm, grateful for the blue sky. You know, go go further than that with each of of the things that I write about gratitude. And then I write uh, three affirmations for me. And again, I'm specific. I don't repeat the same thing over and over every day. But I start three different statements with I am and fill in the blank. And so I, I can between the gratitude and the affirmations I can realize that I really am fine you know i'm i'm living a good life i'm in fully um loving unconditionally and it it doesn't have to be a romantic partner it's my friends even people that i don't necessarily know and then the, the next thing i do is write down what my intention is and that that helps keep me focused Uh, For instance, last week, I I realized in in writing my intentions that I've been really busy with promoting my my book, and I had gotten my life kind of out of balance. And when I realized that, I thought, oh, wow, I need to pay attention to this. As much as I loved my book and loved to promote it, there's a whole lot more to life. I I have to have balance in it. And when, when I realized that, I could act on it. And I'm not sure I would have realized it or realized it as soon as if I hadn't been writing about it. And then I I finished that practice in the morning with writing down something that brought me joy the day before and remembering that that there always is something in your life that's going to make you happy. You might have had a bad day, but there was something that was beautiful or good or made you smile or whatever it is. It might just be talking to a friend or listening to some music that's that's your favorite music or drawing a picture or writing something whatever it is recognizing that joy with you know you have your gratitude your affirmations your intentions and your joy what a great way to start the day and and after i do that or sometimes before I'll meditate and that just gets me so centered so that that i can just when i'm finished Smile, take a deep breath, and go about my day very
1: positively sounds wonderful advice I, I, absolutely great and I, the thing about gratitude is infectious you know once you start oh you, yeah you can't stop right and it's hard to get it going yeah. sometimes because that old curmudgeon gets in there and says you know oh, I don't want to do a gratitude list I don't know. that sounds yeah. too, you know yeah, Pollyanna but once you start it it's it shifts your whole consciousness doesn't it into you know, the moment, basically, you're, you're aware of all the things around you that are pretty amazing. At least I do. That's, that happens for me is, you know, we're given a, God is profligate, if you like, you know, the universe Mm -hmm. is, is abundance, isn't it? It's, it's got so much that's around us at any given time, you know, and you start counting that and being grateful for it. And you realize, gosh, there's, there's more and more stuff to be, to be thankful for, you know, the simplest things too, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Right. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be in that consciousness because it does transform. I believe it does shift our, our being in a different direction.
2: I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I know when, uh, after Jacques died, the, the first husband that I had to die, um, I, I just I was having a, <clears throat> a really hard time moving forward, just doing anything. I was I was just kind of stuck. And a couple um, of my friends...
1: I'm sorry I have to interrupt you. I, I, we have to take a break. I'm hearing the music oh, there. okay. <laughs> I'm with Emily. We'll come back in a second on this wonderful show. Join us in a couple of minutes after these messages from Unity.
0: Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach.
1: All right, welcome back to today's show. I'm with Emily Thoreau Threat, and we're talking about her book, Loving and Living Your Way, through grief Um, and whatever kind of grief that might be. It can be the loss of a a person that's very close to us. So it can be any other kind of loss because this, this world is a world of impermanence, which could be a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing because if everything stayed the same, uh, things wouldn't work so well. So uh, this is one of the conundrums of being alive, right? We're, we're in this delicate place um, of being a human being but we're really spirit and uh, how to remember that is is uh, crucially important and really this book is is a remembrance of things divine if you like coming back to the essential joy at the heart of, of who we are and carrying on in the face of that conundrum in the face of the impermanence of, of this world we talked a, a lot about various uh, aspects of this already um, You've got a chapter on aspects of loss, and, you know, there's a whole list here. A yearning, shock, guilt, confusion, uh, fear, uh, well, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of things that come that are associated with with loss, right? And um, But the, the antidote, it seems to me, is always the same, and that is to find the center, which we talked about in terms of meditation and intention. Um, but, you know, when you're going through all those various uh, emotions – they're all valid, right? Um, I remember waking up thinking, you know, that I wanted to talk with my wife, and and then realizing she wasn't around to talk with, and or think, or waking up in the middle of the night and and turning to her in bed, you know, and expecting her to be there. Um, it's it's a very confusing time.
2: It is, and especially for what the world has been experiencing with the pandemic. We're experiencing different kinds of loss than we ever thought we would have before. Just the, the loss of being able to be with your friends, being able to hug someone, being able to have a, a little party or, or social gathering, all all these things we we realize, and how wonderful those things are in our life, and that, that's a kind of loss. And then people lost jobs, they lost homes, they lost so many different things, and each, each one of those things are, are things that when you come right down to it, we're still here, we're still alive, we're still having this human experience, and, and life really is good even though loss happens. I, I right now can honestly say I'm happier than I've ever been in my life even though i've lost so many people that i was so close to i i still uh am in enjoying the time that i have and i feel really good about that and other people can too the the key is people often think they're supposed to get over it you know get over their loss or get over their grief or aren't you done with that yet people will say and you you don't get over grief you can move forward with your life you can have joy in your life but you're always still going to love the people that you loved before they transition you you don't love them any less just because their their physical body is not here with you
1: and absolutely and that's a very good point isn't it there's no getting over this these things um you use a lot you know you you quote uh a number of platitudes that you know people use because they haven't got the words to share you know like time heals all wounds or i'm sorry for your loss and when you said that when i you know i i i am min- i was a minister for 30 years in a church and um, okay. I, when i lost my wife i think there were like 800 people at this maybe more at this at the service and every single one of them came up to me afterwards and said and, uh, Maybe seven hundred, maybe there were some that would use the different phrase, but at least seven hundred came up to me and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And and by the end of the the you know, the seven hundredth one, it's like I wanted to scream, you know, because it's yeah. like I, I understood what they were saying and I was appreciative of it. But if I heard that phrase one more time, you know. It it's, it's it doesn't it doesn't help, does it, you know? Um, no
2: i I agree with you that I got to the point where I thought if if one more person said that to me, I was going to say something rude back to him, and that's not mm-hmm. me you
0: know right, <laughs> you right.
2: you just can't stand to to hear it it's It's kind of like uh have a nice day or <laughs> you know yes, that, yeah uh it it doesn't mean anything after a while, and they they feel like it's kind of a social obligation because everybody else is doing it and they want to say it so they can get on to the next thing like how about those Dodgers, you know? And it it allows them to feel better about having done something when it it's not helpful to you at all.
0: Right. So exactly. I
2: I always encourage people to to say something like they could say something like, Oh, I loved how you I always saw you holding hands and that just but it always made me smile. Saying something like that is, is so much better. Or my my husband Jacques was a fabulous singer. He just beautiful voice, and I just loved it when people said his name, and said how much they loved to hear him sing. Uh, that just it that's so much more powerful than saying something generic like I'm sorry for your loss
1: it's uh, we have to be um compassionate though because you know if people don't have the words um
2: that's right you know
1: it, it's right. not their their fault is it they just you know that that's um that's what we have to deal with so <laughs> and that's maybe we, true. we and, felt, and... maybe we've done it ourselves uh, you know in uh, sometime in our lives instead of being sensitive we yeah. we've, we've said a platitude whatever so just have to be generous that's right
2: and I, I realized that, that I, when I started getting so uptight about that, that I really needed to uh, forgive them be, because they knew not what they were doing, <laughs> but also right. forgive me for, for being upset about it. And, and once I could release uh, those feelings, because it, it, they weren't the problem. It, it was me that was the problem. I was the one that was reacting when they were trying to be kind. So uh, realizing that and forgiving myself for the attitude that I've been having toward it uh, was very helpful to me. But I also, in the process, realized that I I need to think before I speak when I'm talking to somebody about their loss and say something positive about them and mention the name of the person who's transitioned.
1: And like you said in the book, too, you know, sometimes silence is the best, especially if it's... a listening silence right we don't we don't always have to fill the silence up with our words just just being present with someone hugging them quietly you know could be more powerful than than any statement we might make and um you know or just holding somebody's hand or whatever and they can feel your love i mean that that can be very very powerful i think
2: oh yes and and more of that in this world would just make the world a better place
1: Amen yeah, to that. You know, there's a powerful chapter. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's called Grief is Healthy, I think. Um, but it's mm-hmm. the I'd like to chapter as I, as I remember it, um, you know, where where you where, when you're honest about your grief, that, then you can take the next step into, OK, this is the new normal. Um, and now I'd like to. And, and you have various things you, you know, you invite us to write down. Um, I'd like to eat better, for instance, or, you know, because sometimes when we're in grief, we, we don't pay attention to what we're eating instead sort of on on automatic pilot. We're not always as healthy as we might be. I'd like to spend more time with people. I'd like to improve my exercise practice. I'd like to have a, a reason to smile. I'd like to be inspired. I'd like to discover the meaning of life. You know, all the various I'd like to. I'd like to do something different. Um, I love the, that phrase, though. I'd like to do these things, and, I, and therefore I'm going to set the intention to do to do them. Right? Um it's, yes. it's beginning to focus in a in a in a healthy direction. That's that's what I liked about the chapter. I think.
2: Yes, I because I, it, it's it's really easy to be unhealthy by not making decisions or not paying attention. I I know. Uh, when Jacques died, I lost a ton of weight, and it it wasn't that I was overweight and needed to lose weight. I just wasn't eating. I just wasn't focusing on it. I wasn't hungry. I didn't think about it. I wasn't having to uh, fix meals, and so I just didn't. And it, I finally woke up when I was realizing how <clears throat> how weak I was feeling and how I wasn't able to like even go for a walk because I'd get worn out because I just wasn't giving my body the fuel it needed to survive. And that was kind of a a wake-up call for me that it was important for me to take care of myself because I'm the only one who can.
1: Absolutely. And then extend it towards, you know, larger goals, if you like, that, that are exciting, right? Setting one's intention to... I don't know, but you know, in my life after after my my first wife died, you know, it it gave me a renewed opportunity to to do things I had I hadn't done before, um, and and some were for her because she was a writer, and I collected some of her plays together. But also in, inspired me to put my poetry book together, for instance, and and things like that. So there, there's there's times where you know in 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 her honor in a way too you know because i'm a big believer in that that um we can we can go forward courageously in 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 an honoring of the, our loved one right that, that that i loved her so much and we had such a good uh connection that i, I want to remain connected you know in in various aspects of my life and if i give in to grief or to you know the ultimate sadnesses of 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 loss then i'm not really honoring the 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 highest and best there so it's it's really an honoring when you move forward
2: that's true absolutely
1: you know in you in unity and i'm sure in religious science you know there's this phrase you've got to let go of your story you know you've got a story Mm -hmm. you've told about yourself and um I mean that's that's valid, isn't it? Because sometimes we we have self-limiting stories, but on the other hand, storytelling is a powerful thing that's been done for thousands of years in different cultures. Um, and to tell your story, to have a story, uh, you know, can can elucidate a lot of things. A myth is a story, if you like, uh, that that shows profound truths. And um, and you suggest we we tell our story, right, about our mm-hmm. loved one or about our journey or whatever and I, and i think that's powerful isn't it when we when we have we're not limited by that story but it it's it's something that we put together that makes sense to us and and hopefully can you know help others sometimes if we choose to share it or definitely is helpful for ourselves so that's what you're talking about right in creating the story
2: that that's true I, and i know with me i found that the the more i told my story about something the shorter it got until so it got to the point where it had done its job. I didn't need to to hold on and keep repeating that same story over again. And when, when Jacques had his first heart surgery, it was such a shock that it was going to happen. When anybody had asked me, I would tell him every detail about what happened during that process. and, they would kind of smile and nod, but I I got to the point where I realized they didn't really want to hear all those details, and no. I could make it shorter and shorter until finally I could say, well, he had seven bypasses and he survived, and he's he's healthier now than he has been, and I'm grateful, and the, so my story evolved. It was going as it was going along until it became. Um, the best it could be. And I realize now that uh, with my husband, Ron, when sometimes I would start on a story about something, and he'd look at me and he'd go, now, how does that serve you? Yeah. And I'd go, you're right. And once I started paying attention to that, if if I am telling a story that's not going to help somebody else and it's not going to help me, then I don't need to say it because it doesn't serve me.
1: There's an old uh, Bruce Springsteen song that says, you know, let's hope we don't become boring old people, you know, talking about the glory days, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. there, there's a tendency to do that sometimes, you know, too. And, and there is, it is boring to others because we, we don't <laughs> want to hear the same old story. My uh, my grandfather, you know, became um, quite ill at the, the one point in his life. But before he, he deteriorated, he... He was a storyteller, but, you know, he, he he the family had heard all the stories, you know, 12 times before. They were wonderfully told. They were fantastic stories, but, you know, it doesn't matter how great they are. if You've heard them all before, but he, he just loved to tell those stories. Um, but so, yeah, we, we don't want to bore people, you know, stiff with it. We're, we're talking about a healthy way of... Um, you know, encapsulating something you know important for us, and I, that's, and I, like mm-hmm. I said, I, the Bible really is a book of stories too, isn't it? You know, it, it's yeah. um, it's a wonderful you know storybook of of um, all kinds of human and spiritual psychology, and that, that's what makes it a wonderful wonderful thing, I think. Yeah. So another chapter is called accepting invitations. What do you mean by that?
2: <laughs> oh, that was a good one for me. <clears throat> I, after Jacques died, I had been sitting by myself. I I would go to work. I was uh, teaching writing at the university, and I would go do that, and I would come home, and I would sit. I, I would read some. I would sit outside some, and I just wasn't doing anything. And New Year's Eve came, and I thought, I've got to make a New Year's resolution that is going to help me, that's going to work for me. And so I I just prayed for inspiration for that. And what came to me was to accept invitations. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Nobody's inviting me to go anyplace. They, They were all, you know, once you're not a couple anymore, you don't get invited to the same sort of things. And I thought, okay, there's a reason that this inspiration came to me, so I'm just going to go with it. And as soon as I committed to accepting invitations, they started flowing in. And I had some of the most wonderful experiences of my life by saying yes. And I'm so grateful I did that. The first thing that, that happened was I got invited to be on the editorial board for the newspaper. It was quite a large newspaper and it was a, a one-year term and it was fascinating and i met so many people and it was just great and i had other things like i got to be the nurse on the bicycle race across america i got to invited to go to south africa with friends i was invited to create a film festival it was it was like every time i turned around somebody was saying can you do this and i say yes and each each event led to another bigger more beautiful event and I felt like I came alive again I I was got up off my couch and I was living and that was really important to me
1: yeah I think there is a time you know that that's what I got after six months of grieving was you know I need to to move on in some way not to forget but to to, to reaffirm life again and to say yes to things you know and um and to, to the other relationships too because um again it's a part of honoring the the loved one i think that you're willing to ha- risk another relationship yeah um yeah. you know some people say oh no you know you know you don't need to be in relationship for a long time and the, well some people that works fine with and other people rush in and that's not good either but i think when you feel the time is right you know it's okay to to reestablish uh, you know a, a love relationship if, if it if it feels right for you right
2: that that's right and with with me after Jacques died we'd been married 22 years and i just knew i wasn't going to get married again i wasn't least bit interested in a relationship again and i was really surprised when i i met ron and we were just so good together But my challenge was I didn't feel unmarried to Jacques. I know that in traditional wedding ceremonies, they say, until death do you part. But it's not like I got divorced. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't unmarried. And one day Ron said something about my ex-husband and I said, oh, please don't say that. (laughs) He's not an ex-husband. He was my husband who died. But there's nothing ex about that. And so it, it actually took me a while to be able to be open enough to say it's, it's okay. I can allow myself to actually fall in love. I can allow myself to be able to get married again and, and lead my very best life. But I had to go through the process to get there. And it's funny I think that that's something that, that people don't talk a lot about.
1: So. <laughs> and thank you for mentioning Cause it's, it's something that, uh, when I started dating my my current wife Wendy, you know, she she said you're 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 still acting like a married man. You're not acting like a single man. And mm-hmm. uh, she was so right. I didn't even realize it myself at the time, but I was still, you know, living as if I was a, a, a in a couple, you know, a, a couple's relationship, and not not just me on my own. Because I didn't want to deal with that actually, the idea of being single. No, no, no I'm not single. I just, you know I just had a wife who died, but that doesn't mean I'm single. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Unfortunately, it does, doesn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah. But but it's an That's interesting so psycho- psychological way of uh, approach. You know, you're still carrying that person with you in a in, in a sense.
2: Yeah, I I know it's uh, my name. Uh, Thoreau Threat. Thro Thoreau was Jacques' last name, and Threat was Ron's last name. And I, to me, I'm honoring them both. I love them both. I still love them both. And you can love more than one person at the same time. And a lot of people have a really hard time with that concept. That I know it's what's right for me. And they were both wonderful parts of my life. And and I I didn't um, give them up or you know intentionally separate from them. That's just the way life happened. And it's okay to love. Both
1: of them. Well, you know, when I, I, I date I, whoops. Sorry about that. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can.
1: Um, Yeah, sorry. I think somebody was trying to call. I, I was going to say when I, I dated someone, you know, after my wife passed and uh, before I met my, my current wife and she, the, the, that person didn't want me to talk about. My late wife at all you know that that was that was not allowed in the relationship whereas when i mm. was with wendy you know she she was totally um open to the idea of uh me sharing and and she in fact she was incredibly patient and, and and would listen to the stories and it, it brought us closer she said because she understood my grief and and um and far from it being a problem she felt like um that that was you know helpful for us and i thought that was wonderful you know that's that's the, you know it's a, just a different approach but i i very much appreciated the fact that she was able to integrate that into our relationship too.
2: it's it's, it's vital i think it, it, right you can't just cut out part of your life you know it, it's especially when when it's from a death if it's a divorce it's kind of a different situation but with a, a death there's not the end of love Right. And that has to be considered and honored.
1: I agree completely. Um, let me tell people about next week's show, and then we'll have a couple of minutes left to to talk about something that you would like to you know share that we haven't covered yet. Okay, to to tell okay. our listeners. But let me tell you about next week's show. Next week, uh, social worker, lay Buddhist chaplain, and author. Claire B. Willis joins me in the in the part two of our uh, investigation, if you like, of, of transition and grieving, and her book is called Open to Grief: Finding Your Way from Loss to Peace, and and so that'll be at the focus of our discussion next week, which will be a a, a lovely uh, piggyback on on this wonderful uh, show today. And we'll see if there's some commonalities or some differences, whatever. So join me then for that. Uh, but uh, we have a couple of minutes left. So what have we covered, Emily, that you would like to to share with the uh, with our audience today?
2: A couple of things. I would I would love for your audience to be in touch with me, and they can do that uh, through my website, lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. And I would love for them to to read my book. And I think one of the most important things that I cover in my book and in my life is the value of living in the moment. It, it changed my world when I, when Ron and I when when he was going through all that he went through with his, his physical issues until he transitioned, we would stay in the moment and it it made things so much better that everything was always all right in that moment, whatever moment it was and when you when you can truly get to the point where that's the only place you're living which is true but where you recognize that's the only place you're living your life can be so much sweeter so much more peaceful and so filled with love
1: i love that yeah and um that's that's my little byline on all my emails Is be present to what is you know because yeah. that's that's all we have really isn't it and uh yeah. we spend a lot of our time elsewhere which is all in memory or in projection into the future which is fine but it's not reality <laughs> the only reality we have is is now and um and and so to be present to that is and even when we're in, in reminiscing to be present to that is still being in the now, right? As long as we're aware, yeah. oh, right now I'm reminiscing rather than getting lost in it. Um, and it can be very effective that way because we're saying, oh, yeah, right now I'm projecting into the future, you know, but I'm still here doing that. And uh, it brings us back to the to that moment again. Um, so it's not about, you know, excising everything else and only being, you know, right here, right now. It's about being aware of when you're not, you know, and uh, observing that, which you can only do in the now. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful exercise, I think, to to bring us back home to to this current moment.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and this book, folks, is published by Mango Publishing, but of course it's available in all the usual outlets, including Amazon. I think it's a thoroughly good read. It covers a lot, whole lot of ground, I highly recommend that you you get a hold of a copy and uh, and follow up with uh, with Emily as you 're guided because uh, she 's got some wonderful things to say and because she 's been a writer for so many years she 's written it in a very uh, easily accessible way a very down to earth a lot of good examples so yeah, altogether uh, a, a wonderful read and i 'm so glad that uh, you were able to to be on the show today with us and um, and share your wisdom.
2: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: And thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us next week. Stay safe and have a good time. Have some joy in your life. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.